Good morning. This is a little further back than I'm used to, but I haven't been back for a couple of weeks. Maybe that's the new position. If you'll take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's where we're going to be today. Want to th- oh, children are dismissed. I'd like to thank Mike Moran and Kaysen for filling in the last couple of weeks, and Araceli for doing the VBS Sunday. Uh, you've got an outline in your bulletin this morning, or at least you should have. I've got it out a little late today, uh, but you should have it there if you'll bring that out at this time. We are uh, going to begin a brand new series next week. And I'm going to kind of let today's message serve as the introduction to that new series on discipleship. But today we're talking about the kind of person or the kind of heart that God uses. The kind of person God's looking for. He's looking for a particular person with the right kind of heart that is loyal and will follow God. But next week, I'm going to springboard into a a little mini-series. It'll probably go four or five weeks on um, discipleship. Uh, Back in January, it seems like January was a million years ago, doesn't it? The first uh, Wednesday night of January, we met with uh, all of our minister leaders. Uh, Letty Pena took care of us, got some good food, and and back in December of last year, the elders met, and and uh, we got together, and we came up with a theme for the year. We've really got four high priorities here, high values that we want to lift up and keep before the congregation. They are worship. Um, and, and even, uh, where's Isaiah, even with the little flub-ups and mistakes, when the heart's right, God accepts it all, right? Worship's a high value at Crosspoint. Instruction is a high value at Crosspoint. Fellowship's a high value, and so is evangelism. Well, we decided to make fellowship our theme for this year. And so we decided, let's meet with all of our ministry leaders. And we met the first Wednesday of this, this year in January, And we said, let's focus intentionally on fellowship this year, but especially on discipleship or mentoring one another. You know, we have our small groups. We have our monthly praise night barbecues. We have our, you know, friendship dinners. And we do a lot of fellowship, and a lot of fellowship takes place organically here at our congregation. But we said, we want to get a little more intentional when it comes to what it means to be a disciple and what does it mean to disciple somebody else or mentor them, if you will. It's just another term for a disciple. Jesus told us to go make disciples, right? And what does a disciple do? He makes more disciples, and that process continues. And so I want this message today to kind of be a springboard into taking off next week. I'm going to be preaching two of those messages in the Spanish congregation. And Mike's going to be preaching two of the messages in here, because I want you to hear a different voice. And they, from time to time, need to hear a different voice. But you'll have at least four weeks, maybe five weeks of lessons on this, and then we're going to give you an opportunity to put feet to the message. Because what good is a whole message and a whole series on something unless we give you an opportunity to put that into practice? More about that later. Today's not the discipleship message. Today is simply the springboard getting you ready for next week. Okay? Every disciple, and you're all disciples, never look at yourself as a volunteer again, all right? Jesus didn't say, I 
will make you volunteers. I will make you my disciples. Disciples, very, very different. Every disciple should have somebody above them spiritually. Everybody should have someone below them spiritually that you're discipling and you're bringing along. And everybody should have someone about your equal that you can go to and bounce things off of and keep us all honest and and serving God and doing the right thing. So that's where we're headed. That's introduction for next week. But here's the introduction for today. I don't know if you know who Mike Colin is. He, he, he used to play for the Miami Dolphins. And this former Auburn college coach called him up one day. And he says, Mike, I was wondering if you could do a little recruiting for me. And uh, Mike says, sure, coach. Uh, what kind of a player are you looking for? He says, well, Mike, you know, you know that guy that when he gets knocked down, he just stays down? Mike goes, yeah, I know that guy. He says, we're not looking for him, are we, coach? And coach says, that's right, Mike, we don't want that guy. But you know that guy, you you hit him and you knock him down, he gets up, and you hit him again, you knock him down, but he doesn't get up. Yeah, well, we don't want that guy either. But then there's that guy, you hit him, and you knock him down, and he gets up. And then you hit him again, and you knock him down, and he gets up. and And you hit him some more, and he just keeps on getting up. He goes, yeah, coach, I know that guy. That's the kind of guy we're looking for, right? And he says, no, Mike, I want you to get me the guy that's knocking everybody down. That's the guy we're looking for. Well, you know what? Most of the, the people, the players that the scouts watch never make it to superstardom. Most never do. But here's the good news. God's doing a little scouting of his own. And God says, you don't have to be a superstar to play on my team. You don't have to be a superstar to be in my show. There was an old 80s song, I think, that said that. But you do have to have the right kind of heart. Does that make sense? See, God is looking for people. Look look at 1 Chronicles 16 with me. Will you up here before we get into Samuel? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God's looking. That's all that means. Who's he looking for? Well, first of all, he's looking for someone that's going to prove himself strong. You know, first time you read that, you kind of think, oh, God's going to make me strong. Well, he will, but the glory goes to who? God. Have you ever done something for God that you didn't think you could do? And someone said, man, you did a really great job. God bless you. You know, you're, you did wonderful today. And, some, and you say, well, wait a second. I was in fear and trembling, and I was praying and praying that God would get me through this thing. To God be the glory, right? So God's looking for someone that's going to give him the glory and prove him strong. But before God puts his strength and power in you, he's got to know that you've got the right kind of heart. And so he's looking for people like you, whose heart is loyal to him. And the clearest picture of someone with a loyal heart is King David. And his story is found in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, you might want to go ahead and open your Bibles there or your Bible apps, that's fine. Um, but let me give you a little history lesson before we do that. Look up here on the, on the screen. I just want to show you some background information. Before there was ever a King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. Before there was ever a King David. Before there was ever a King Solomon on through the, you know, the tribe of Judah leading up to Jesus. There was Jehovah God. God was the king of Israel, right? And... And the people seemed very, very happy with having God as their guide. And things were, ran smoothly for a long time while they kept God as their king. But as they grew up, 
and started looking at the nations around them, they started thinking, wow, we, we want a king. Like the, we want to be like everybody else. What a slap of the face to God, right? And, and, and so God tells Samuel, the prophet, see, that's how God worked. He, he raised up prophets like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and, and so forth and, and judges to help keep the people on target like Samson and Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Deborah. We read about some of those in Hebrews chapter 11 when we were in that series. And that's how God ruled. I'm, I'm God and here's the people that are going to help keep you on target. But they said, eh, that's fine, those guys are all right, but we still want a king. Yeah, you're God, but we want an earthly king. And, and he says, Samuel, go tell the people, they don't know what they're asking for, because when they get a king, here's what the king's going to do to them. First of all, can you say taxes? He's going to start taxing you. On top of that, he's going to draft your kids into his military, and, and a portion of all you own. He's going to take a part of that. And then, and then what happens if you get a bad king? And let me just tell you, there weren't many good kings. <laughs> Israel had mostly bad kings. And if they make a bad decision, who now suffers? Everybody in the kingdom, right? Uh, can anyone say Ahab? If you know the story of Ahab, he was probably the most wicked and vile king that Israel ever had. And he was helped in his wicked and vileness by his lovely, wicked, vile wife named Jezebel. That too, they had idol worship, they had corruption, so much so that the ten northern tribes break off from the two southern tribes because they're now worshiping idols. So why do you need a temple, which is in the south, if you're worshiping idols? And then eventually the southern kingdoms have bad kings and they turn to idol worship. And God will not tolerate that. When you commit spiritual adultery, you know what God does? He disciplines his people in a very, very brutal way. And they went into, remember, captivity. Babylonian captivity was like 70 years. Man, in that 70 years, they had a lot of thinking about the decisions they made, right? And they start crying out to God for relief and deliverance. And finally, God raises up a new ruler of the world named Cyrus the Great. And by his decree... He writes a letter and says, you, you're all free. You can all go back home. You can go back to Jerusalem. Make it your capital city. You can restore your homes and rebuild your temple. And they did that under Ezra, the priest. And, and remember the book of Nehemiah? What's the book of Nehemiah all about? The rebuilding of the wall, right? And, and so it all gets done to the glory of God. And from that point on, do you ever hear Israel clamoring for a king again? No way. They learn their lesson. God is the king. Well, these people didn't know all that. Well, they knew it, but they still wanted it. And so God gave them their wish. Some, be careful what you pray for. What kind of king was this Saul guy? Well, the Bible says he's a very tall king, very big physically, but spiritually, he was a pygmy, all right? He was a jealous man who lived for the praise of the people. He, he tended to overstep his boundaries, and he was guilty of gross disobedience. You know, the first task that God gives Saul to do when he became king was to go and take out the Amalekites. You're going to want a great victory, Saul. Just go out there. Here are my marching orders. Two major instructions. Kill everyone. Men, women, and children. 
you think, wow, what a mean, vindictive, bloodthirsty God. What are those poor, innocent kids? No, this nation had become so corrupt and so evil and so demonic. They followed Satan to the point of human sacrifice. Sometimes evil needs to be rooted out with the same intensity that it's rooted in. And if you leave even one alive, because this is a satanic nation, the Bible says the iniquity of the Malachites is now full. They gotta, see, God gives a nation a long time to repent and come around, but if there's no hope for a nation, God will take them out completely. And that's, and that's the Amalekites at this time under King Agag. Take them all out. Don't leave one alive. And kill all the animals as well. I don't want there to be a trace of the Amalekites left. If you remember your history when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity, they wanted to go through the Amalekite land, and the Amalekites ran roughshod over them. And it just went downhill from that nation from there. So God says, time for them to be gone. Sometimes God gets fed up to a point where he has got to take them all out. And so the king goes out and he kills everybody except one. He left King Agag alive, sort of as a trophy. And he's kind of leading them around like on a leash. Did God say to do that? No, don't leave anyone alive. And then he goes over here to Mount Carmel and he builds kind of a monument to you know, his victory. I told you he's a prideful man, right? He loved the praise of men. And then, and then Samuel comes to check up. And he says, Saul, how did everything go? And Saul says, oh man, I obeyed the Lord and everything he told me to do. We killed them all. Well, what's old Agag doing over there? And, and if you killed all the livestock, what is that sound of sheep in the background I'm hearing in my ears. And the lowing of the cattle in my ears. See, he obeyed to a point, but he didn't obey all the way, did he? Kind of a halfway obedience. And he says, well, you know, the troops, so, you know, we killed all the bad meat, but there was some good USDA prime beef. And the guys wanted a barbecue, I mean, the victory. You know, they wanted to take a few home. And, you know, it's just a little thing. And, and really, the best, the best of the best, we made an altar over here. Look, we came to Mount Carmel. We're going to offer these to the Lord. You know, did God tell him to do any of those things? No. He doesn't obey God to the T like God told him to do. So he tends to overstep his boundaries and he was guilty of gross disobedience. And so God rejects him from that point on. And God uses an unlikely candidate by the name of David. Let's just quickly talk about David. David was uh, the one that God promised to establish his throne forever to in First Chronicles seventeen twelve. And more is written about David in the Bible than anybody else but Jesus. And David was an ordinary person who God used in extraordinary ways. And that's... Kind of what God's looking for. Remember, his eyes are searching to and fro through the earth. God wants to prove himself strong through you. And he chose David because David had the right kind of heart. God's looking for mentors. God's looking for disciples who are willing to disciple somebody. Someone 
with a disciple above them, someone with a disciple below them, someone with a disciple alongside of them. Let's get to point number one, or we'll never get through this thing. Point number one, God is not looking for hard-headed, hard-hearted people. That was Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 1 and 2, reads like this. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn over Saul? Since I have rejected him, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. See, that's the way you anointed another king. And oil was representative of the Holy Spirit. And as he would pour oil on the new king, the Holy Spirit would be upon that new king. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Hey, where was Jesus born? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Don't we sing that? Every Christmas season? See, Jesus was the tribe of Judah. You can trace his lintage back to Jesse's house. You can trace his lintage back to, the, to David, the city of David. Bethlehem. That was Bethlehem. That's David's town. Bible prophecy. This was predicted hundreds of years earlier that Jesus would come from this family. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Notice how I capitalize more in there. My, actually, my wife, I'm down to one hand, have you noticed? One of the hardest, most frustrating things for me is tying my shoes, getting my belt buckle on, and typing with one finger. And <laughs> Just to do something in bold letters. Every time I needed a bold letter, I want to zoom my PowerPoint this week. My wife has been a great nursemaid. And, and you all have offered to come and help, and I appreciate that. Uh, some of you have even, I'm looking at one that said, I'll even come and clean your house. I said, you, our house, you, it's a disaster area right now. It looks like, my wife's been working on this ladies' retreat for like six months, and there's like, she was in charge of crafts or the decorations, and Corey slept on the couch last night. Thank God I've got a son that can help me get dressed and ready for today. He, he goes, Dad, I've got glitter all over. Where's this glitter coming from? Mom, mom, mom. I said, you, sh- you think the house is bad now? You should have been here last week. In any event, thank you. The congregation has been great. But God has blessed me with a family, and I'm coming along nice. But I capitalized that word mourn and then kill down here. What a fickle preacher this is. God said, why are you mourning over Saul? See, because Saul anointed I mean, Samuel anointed Saul. He mentored Saul. He discipled Saul. And so he's invested some time. Have you ever invested some time in someone and God says, I've rejected him as king. Now, he can't be in that position anymore. And Sam is kind of mourning over that. But at the same time, he's saying, well, if I go anoint somebody else, he's going to kill me. How do you mourn over someone that's going to kill you? I don't know. I'm going to ask Samuel that when I get to heaven. That's just one of those, well, preachers are sort of fickle people, so I guess that's the case. So he's mourning, but at the same time he's worried, how do I go do what God's told me to do, anoint someone else's king without getting back to the king, and the king taking my head off? See, God rejected Saul not because he made a mistake, but because of these two sinful attitudes. He was hard-headed and hard-hearted. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. Let's go back to a chapter to um, the encounter with Saul. He says to Saul, how'd everything go? But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Well, you know, we thought it'd be a good idea. I know God said kill everything, but 
God, we just thought the best should go to God, so we decided to save some of the animals to do an offering to God. Wait a second. Did God tell you to do that? No. Well, what's better, he says, to obey or to sacrifice? To heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. What's idolatry? It's the second commandment. Don't make an idol with your hands or in your mind. And worship it. What he was doing was actually playing the role of God and saying, well, I know God told me to do this, but I just thought it would be a good idea to do that. God would enjoy the sacrifice. Why waste it all? No, no. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He is so hard-headed, he cannot even admit his wrongdoing. He is so hard-hearted, he would have killed Samuel to stay in power. And so Saul has got to go. This tells you something about his character. It's not just a mistake. Did King David, when he became king, make some mistakes? You bet. Even worse on some levels if you think about it. But his heart was right. That's the difference. He wasn't hard-headed, hard-hearted. According to a recent study, there are about 1,600 people in the United States of America who are members of what is called the Flat Earth Society. Have you heard of this? These 1,600 people refuse to believe that the earth is round. And I'm not kidding here. They're not joking. In spite of all the evidence, they still think the earth is flat. Their president, Charles K. Johnson, explained his view this way. I've been a flat earther all my life. When I saw the globe in grade school, I didn't accept it because it was illogical to me. That is a bunch of hard-headed people. If you want to be used by God, what's the kind of person God's looking for? He's not looking for people like this, all right? Not hard-headed, not hard-hearted. You say, well, I'd never do that. God told me to do something. I would be obedient. Oh, really? How well are you doing on that obedient thing, by the way? That, mm, how about the fourth commandment? Keep the Sabbath day holy. You know, one day a week, take some time off, rest your body, and think about me. Now, the Bible never tells in the New Testament what day of the week that should be. So if you work on Sunday, then another day has got to become your Sabbath. That Sabbath principle is still in play. And you say, well, I obey, I obey. I, I, I go twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Isn't that the designated time? No, folks. Well, I, I, I go more than that, but... It's on the days I feel like going, not on the days I don't feel like going. You know, on a nice beach day. Do you obey on kind of halfway? How about on that tithing principle? Kind of on a halfway. When you got it, yeah. When you don't have it, no. How about on that loving your neighbor as yourself commandment? I know people that can't stand their neighbors. How about that love the brotherhood? Love your brethren in the church. I've had people come to me that can't stand some of the brethren. Kind of halfway. How you doing on that obedient thing? Say, I'll never be like Saul. And yet there's so many areas that we're stubborn and hard-headed and hard-hearted. 
So God's not looking for people like that to use. Can't use people like that. He had one. Gave us a good example of what a king shouldn't look like in Saul. Said, I've rejected him as king. Not, I've rejected Saul, but he's rejected him as king. You want to be in a position of authority and for God's strength to come into you, you've got to have the right heart. Number two, God is not looking for handsome hunks. Samuel is still faced with a dilemma, though. He's been told by God, you've got to go to uh, Bethlehem and anoint somebody king. And how does he do that without running afoul of King Saul? Now, God doesn't want him to break the ninth commandment, which is to lie. And so he doesn't lie. God just tells him to go do a little multitasking. What am I talking about here? See, the temple hasn't yet been built. David's son Solomon will build the temple. But until then... Prophets were sort of like itinerant preachers. They would go from city to city and town to town and village to village and do the worship services and offer sacrifices. And so this is just part of his job. And he says, and while you're there in Bethlehem, anoint one of Jesse's sons king. Do you see the picture? And so the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? What are they asking that for? They know he and Saul are at odds right now. Things aren't going well. And uh, he says, well, let's go to the next verse. Peace. Don't worry, guys. I'm just here to do a little worship service. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, ooh, Eliab. He sure looks kingly. What's going on in Samuel's mind? This must be the one, right? He's tall, dark, and handsome. And God says, see, God can read your thoughts. He doesn't say it out loud. He's thinking this in his own mind. And God gets into his mind and into his head and says, would you knock that off? Didn't we just go through tall, dark, and handsome with Saul and had that work out? Not so well. What do we tend to look at when we're looking for a president? Well, we still got this syndrome, don't we? We want someone to look what? presidential and we will even cast our vote for a less qualified person than a more qualified person if the less qualified person looks presidential how dumb is that we have a tendency as human beings to look at outward appearance don't do that god says look at the heart and he even had to tell his preacher this samuel Samuel, the Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Next verse. Then Jesse called Abinadab. All right, that's the next oldest. And he had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, yeah, the Lord hadn't chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemaiah, third oldest, pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. He said, you got any more kids? Look at the next verse. You know? You got any more kids? Well, yeah, I got some more kids, but they're not quite here yet. What's this verse say 
in John 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to what? Appearance. But judge with righteous judgments. In Samuel's eyes, all seven of these boys looked kingly. All seven of these boys would have made fine kings. They were beautiful in appearance, you might even say. But be careful about appearances. Uh, things are not always as they seem. I heard about a lawyer who had a brand, just opened up a brand new law office. So it's brand new, just everything has just gotten into place. Not everything was hooked up quite yet. And, but anyway, in comes a prospective client, and he wanted to look busy. And so he puts on a little show, and he picks up the phone, and he says, Hey, Harry, about that $3 million deal that we're working on at the factory, I think I'd better come on down and handle that one myself. Uh, you might want to meet me there. And uh, why don't you call Rogers in Seattle? Because we're going to probably need him there as well. And he hangs up the phone. Uh, yes, sir, can I help you? And the man says, no, you can't help me. I'm here from the phone company. I'm just here to hook up your phone. Things are not always as they seem. We want to put on a show. But God's not looking for that. God's looking for the right heart. Are you getting this? We don't need any saws in leadership. We need Davids. Are Davids perfect? No, we already know. Can anyone say Bathsheba? Uriah the Hittite. But David had the right kind of heart. I want him as my leader, not a hard-headed, hard-hearted man like Saul. God can work with the right heart. But you've got to get the externals out of the way. Now, here's who God is looking at. Number three, and we'll close with this. After Samuel works his way through Jesse's sons, I think he kind of scratches his head. I I know about you, but if I would have been the preacher doing what God told me to do, and I might say something like, you are Jesse, right? Yeah, I'm Jesse. This is Bethlehem, right? These are all your boys, right? Right. Well, there is one more. What are you talking about? Yeah, but he's just the runt of the litter. And, uh, well, let's just read it. Next verse. So, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. Ah, the runt of the litter, Jesse answered. But he's tending the sheep. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about David. And the lowest rung on the ladder was who? the sheep herder, and that usually went to the youngest child. Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down to, until he arrives. And so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy. I did research on the word ruddy. What does ruddy mean? It means red in the Hebrew. And so I'm going to give you three, three different views from three different commentators, and I stopped after that. The first view, and probably the most prominent view, is since ruddy means red, it probably meant that he was red-headed. And red hair at that time on a Jew was very unusual and considered to be special. So that's a real possibility. Others say, no, it meant he was red-skinned. His skin texture was red. And yet another said, well... He was fair-skinned, but because he was a shepherd out in the sun all day, he was always sunburned. And I stopped about there. So you choose whatever one of those you want to believe, and I'm good with it. And when we get to heaven, we'll ask David what the real truth was, right? But that's what ready means. That's enough on that. With a fine appearance and handsome features, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is 
The one. Yay. He hasn't made a mistake. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Oh, don't you love this? Happy ending. That's going to be a long time before he looks kingly. He's just a boy. He's just a shepherd boy. It's going to be a long time. Yeah, he hasn't even killed Goliath yet, all right? It's going to be a long... He's going to be a running from King Saul because King Saul, remember I told you, he's prideful. He was jealous. And going to, Saul's going to try to kill him. But David reminds us of an essential quality for a champion of God. The word is humility. Humility. James 4, verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to who? The humble. Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. How do you get exalted? By giving God glory. Remember, He's looking for people to prove Himself strong in. And so humility is not pretending that, oh, I'm nothing, I'm just a worm. That's not humility. Humility is just not thinking about yourself at all. It's not saying, it's not denying that you have gifts, talents, and abilities. There are multi-talented men and women in this room right here, and a whole bunch up at Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear or somewhere up in our San Bernardino Mountains today. Talented, gifted people. Humility is saying, God, if you want to use these gifts, talents, and abilities you've given me to prove yourself strong, I'm willing. And we've got a church full of people like that. I love the fact that I get to be the man today. And God's using me to preach a message today. I think I told someone this morning, if I'm out of the pulpit more than two weeks, I forget how to preach. So I'm glad I'm back today. But I give God the glory. I consider it a privilege and an honor to be used by Him in this wonderful way. So it's not ignoring your strengths or your abilities. It's serving God and others with a willing spirit. Now, i got one last question for you. Here's the last question I got on the screen. Do you see it there? Are you willing to show up when God calls? That's the question. Are you willing to show up when God calls? I heard about a telemarketer who called a home one day and a small voice whispered, Hello. Well, hello. Who is this? And that little voice said, Jimmy. Well, hello, Jimmy. How old are you? I'm four. Well, Jimmy, is your mother home? Yes. Well, may I talk to her, please? No, she's busy. Well, how about your father? Is he home? Yes, but he's busy too. Is there anybody else home? Yes, there's firemen and policemen here, but they're all busy too. Jimmy, what are they doing? And he says, looking for me. (laughs) The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro through the earth looking for you. And he doesn't want you to whisper. He wants you to say, here am I, send me. We got a missionary going to Texas saying, here am I, send me. I need some funds. I need to be propelled to do the work of the Lord. I'm going to Texas. They, they talk funny there, real funny. Just telling you up front, I lived there. I went to college there myself. I came back saying y'all and all y'all when there's only one person there. It's weird. 
God's looking for me. God's looking for you. We need growth group leaders. We need ministry leaders. We need apprentices. And you're going to hear a whole lot about discipleship and mentoring over the next few weeks. So get ready for that because we need a whole lot of them. Let's ask God to help us with that. Let's close in prayer. Will you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for these two contrasting chapters in the Bible. 1 Samuel 15 and 1 Samuel 16. A disobedient, hard-hearted, hard-headed king. And then chapter 16 where we find a king that messes up too, but his heart's right. And he's humble. And he's humble enough to admit his weaknesses and shortcomings and cry out to you for mercy and grace, just as we all do. But was still willing to do things your way and willing to be used by you. Father, raise up men and women right here at Cross Point to meet every need. Because we've got people that are multi-talented that can meet every need that we have right here at this church. Heavenly Father, use us to make a difference in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a privilege to be here today. God bless you. Go make it a great day. God bless.